today to share my story. It's a story of contrasts, of life and of death and strength and weakness, of fear, of courage, of hatred, of love. But I get ahead of myself. I haven't even introduced myself yet. My name is Caleb, and I'm not from around here, as you can see. In fact, I come from the other side of the world. Here's a map of my homeland and its surroundings. That's not a map. It's a, it's a beautiful country to live in, though. You can see it's can't you? So here's a picture with plains and hills and valleys and trees. It's a beautiful, it's an amazing place. You'd love it. It was a wonderful place to grow up, a wonderful place to have a childhood. Well, most of the time. I have really good memories mostly, but there were some disturbing memories too. I grew up in a land where we were taught to hate our neighbours. They were taught to hate us. As youths, we would band together and go throw rocks at them. Their boys and young men would throw rocks at us. We'd shout insults at each other, and then we'd go home. Do it all again the next day. That's Dave, up the next picture. He was my best friend. We'd do everything together when we were kids. We'd especially love to go fishing. We'd go down the stream and get discussions about our God, Adonai, how we were going to change the world for him. But Dave had some strange ideas, though. He wasn't like the rest of us who thought the way to change the world was to destroy our enemies. I'd have these great ideas about marching towards the village of our nearby enemy to burn it down. After all, it was just down the hill, across the valley. I could see that hateful village just from my front door. And I wanted to burn it down, along with all the other boys in my village. But not Dave. Now, he had different ideas. Love wins, he used to say. I never understood what that meant. Let's build houses, not destroy them. That's another thing he used to say. Then one day, totally unexpectedly, the opportunity to build arrived. One morning when I was 14, the clouds covered the sky. Wind howled, rain fell. We suffered a terrible storm that afternoon that went long into the night as we huddled in our homes cowering. In the morning we came out. We were so blessed. Our village was okay. Damage was minimal. Houses still stood. No one was hurt. But Dave and I looked across the hill, saw the village nearby, and we saw the terrible destruction. Roofs were torn off, houses were flattened, debris was everywhere. My initial reaction, of course, was extreme pleasure. God had punished our enemies. They were suffering for their sins and they deserved it. Dave had a different reaction, though. They need help, he said. Let's go help. I couldn't believe he wanted to help them. But I was so curious to see the damage that I set off down the hill with him. As we got closer, the destruction became more and more obvious. So many houses collapsed, so many destroyed. We walked into the village and the first thing we saw was a little boy crying, crying out for his mum by a collapsed house. <coughs> Next to him was his distraught sister who kept saying, It's okay, Ibrahim. It's okay, we'll be okay, Ibrahim. On top of the pile of the, the rubbish that was once a house, we saw a couple of men frantically trying to pull up the rubbish, pull up the debris, and rescue this woman that had been trapped in her house. Dave jumped up on the debris, 
joined them and started helping. I just watched spitefully, enjoying the fact that my enemy was suffering. I was glad when they pulled out the dead body. And as that boy sobbed and his sound resounded through the valley, I just turned around and walked home, glad. Dave, on the other hand, spent the whole day helping, rescue, tending the injured. And then he spent the next month helping them rebuild houses in that village. I thought he was stupid. Why help our enemies? Anyway, time passed. Dave and I remained friends and we grew up into young men. We set up a merchant business. We bought and traded goods. We travelled to far-off regions to import and export our wares. We were really, really successful. One day we set off on a long journey to Damascus and we needed to pass through Samaria, the land of our enemies. As it was late in the day, we spent a night in a village there. In the local tavern we were having a drink. There were some locals who had drunk too much. In fact, I probably drank a bit too much as well. Anyway, we got into a heated discussion right there in the middle of that Samaritan village. And they started insulting us. Insulting me, a Jew. So I spat it right back at them. They tried to tell me to let it go and to go to our rooms and sleep it off. But I wouldn't hear anything of it. They had insulted me. And so an argument began. Got more and more heated. And before we knew it, punches were being thrown. Then I don't know how it happened. But it happened so fast. Knife was drawn. There was a scream and then blood everywhere. And there was Dave, dead, lying on the ground. Even to this day, I still struggle to think about it. I hated the Samaritans even more after that. They were scum. They needed to be destroyed. My heart was filled with bitterness, such hatred. I knew God hated them, so I made it my mission to become rich, perhaps one day use my money to somehow destroy those Samaritans. I had this notion, this crazy notion, that if I got rich and powerful enough, I could hire perhaps a private army and use that to punish the Samaritans. But for now, I hated the Samaritans so much, I wouldn't go near their homeland again. So I returned home to Jericho, and I stopped international trade, and I focused just on trading in my homeland of Judah. And I did really well. I became rich, very rich. I became well-known, and I trade all around Judah, but mostly between Jerusalem and Jericho. Travelling between the two places frequently, I became really familiar with the route. About you know, 35 kilometres in length. Not far, but it was steep, windy, through hills and mountains. It was a bit dangerous too. Robberies weren't unheard of. There were a couple roaming gangs of thieves who would hide out in the hill caves. And they'd observe travellers on the road, up high on the mountain. And when they saw someone who looked very wealthy and unprotected, they'd sometimes strike. They weren't always active. They only ever robbed the wealthy. And even then, it was only occasionally that we hear about it. But still, it happened enough that I would usually travel with two or three others. Usually with my new business partner. Sometimes with a hired servant. But there was one occasion I did travel alone. I just fired our servant because he was too slow at work. And my business partner didn't come with me because his mum was ill and he wanted to be with her. So I had to travel alone to Jerusalem. The trip started well. I piled up the donkey with jewellery and spices for sale and then I set off. 
The road was more quiet than usual that day. Often there'd be fellow travellers a bit behind and a bit ahead, but that day the road was pretty empty. I was the only one I could see travelling, but it didn't matter. My head was full of thoughts of profits and sales. About halfway through my journey, though, I heard something and my heart froze as I looked up the mountain and I saw this band of five or six men rapidly descending with clubs drawn. They were quite a distance away, but I could see them coming fast and I knew there was no way I was going to be able to outrun them. So I grabbed a large stick, got ready to defend myself, but it was, it was hopeless. They barreled into me, pounding me with their clubs, knocking me to the ground. And as I struggled, they kicked and they kicked and they kept kicking me. My bones cracked and there was pain throughout my ribs and my stomach. Then I blacked out. I thought I was going to die just before that happened. I woke up. don't know how much later, but I was in a dirty ditch by the side of the road. Feeling absolutely wrecked. I could hardly move. My body ached. My legs and arms were obviously broken. The slightest movement caused excruciating pain. So I just lay there exhausted. Barely alive. Then I heard it. Footsteps. I opened my eyes and I saw a priest coming. Hallelujah! Praise God I was going to be saved. But he looked nervous and a bit disgusted too. I think he thought I was dead. He didn't come close to me anyway. Instead he moved over to the other side of the road. I could not believe it. I know priests care about their purity and their ritual cleanliness. I know they won't touch a dead body because that would make them ritually unclean. But he was meant to be a man of God. He was meant to care about the needy, the helpless. But he just walked by. He didn't even want to come close to me and see if I was alive. To see if he'd give me help. Maybe 20 minutes later I heard more footsteps. Opening my eyes, I saw this man walking towards me, wearing linen trousers and a long tunic. He was a Levite, wearing the clothes of a Levite, just like me. This was a man from my tribe. Surely he was going to stop and help me. But I didn't want him to think I might be dead. So with an almighty effort, I raised my arm. And I groaned to him, help me. He stopped and looked at me. Help me, I called again. Too busy, he said simply. And then he moved on to the other side of the road. That broke me. I was going to die in that ditch. And that's when I prayed. God, send me help or I'll die. I need someone to rescue me. Send help. And then I, I heard it very faintly at first. But footsteps of a man and a donkey. They grew louder and louder. And then I could see a man clearly. A Samaritan, my worst enemy, a person I had hated my whole life. And yet here he was, my only hope and the answer to my prayer. Surely he wasn't going to stop for me though. I wouldn't have stopped for him. Why would he stop for me? He was a Samaritan. Samaritans hated us Jews. And I hated them even more. But he did stop. He bent down and he spoke to me. Don't be afraid. I'm here to help you. I stared at him. He was willing to help me? His enemy? 
So I stared at him. I noticed he, he just looked a bit familiar too. I'd seen this person somewhere, but I couldn't quite place it. I saw him take out his water bottle and he held it to my lips so that I could drink. And let me tell you, that water was life-giving. The Samaritan man sat me down and he ripped his clothes and he bandaged my, my bloody arms and legs and face. He took a stick, put it by my arm and splintered my arm still. But he could see I couldn't walk because I had my legs broken. His donkey was laden with goods, just like mine had been. He was obviously a trader too. He walked over to his donkey and he unloaded it. Put his wares on the side of the road. And he lifted me up and sat me on his donkey. But your goods, your wares, I said to him. He just smiled, tapped his donkey, and we set off. So it wasn't an easy journey, and by the time we reached the village, night was falling. And I was hardly able to stay awake. The Samaritan took me into an inn, and I was put on a bed. And the last thing I remember before I fell asleep that night was hearing that Samaritan man say to the innkeeper, Here's some money. Take it, look after him. I'll be back in a couple months. If this isn't enough, I'll cover anything extra. Just make sure he recovers. Look after him. And the innkeeper replied, Thanks, Ibrahim. We'll see you in a few months. God bless me that day. Ibrahim had been sent to save my life. That little boy who cried for his mum all those years ago after the storm. It was at that moment I remembered Dave and what he used to say, love wins. And I finally understood what that meant. So that's my story. It's a simple one. It's about love. When I was younger, I used to quote the Torah, which talked a lot about love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul and all your strength. That's from Deuteronomy. And love your neighbour as yourself. That's from Leviticus. I'd said these words frequently, but I didn't live them. I was full of hate. I would throw rocks at my Samaritan neighbour. I would cruelly laugh when they suffered rather than try and help relieve their suffering. I thought violence would win. I wanted to destroy houses. So I didn't understand love. Even though I recited these words, I didn't understand them. That's why I couldn't understand Dave. But then Abraham saved me. And I experienced love in a way that I had never loved. You see, I found in my life that it's easy to love people who like me and people who are like me. But it's not easy to love my enemies. Not, not easy to love unlikable people. And yet that's what real love involves. It involves supporting, comforting, helping, not just those who are like us or who are, or who are our friends, but also those who we don't like, those who are our enemies. And it can never just be words or a feeling. It always involves action. Love is always connected to actions. We can't love without actions. And those actions can be costly. Cost Ibrahim two months' wages. Love is costly, though. In fact, I know you know this too, the story of the most costly love in the world, the love of Jesus, the Son of God, 
who took on himself the punishment of my sins and my hatred. And in receiving the judgment of my sins, he was crucified and died on that cross. That's real love. Love that forgives and love that gives to the enemy. It's a love that is transformative and it turns an enemy into a friend. My life used to be a be about business and trade and money and wealth and ambition. My ambition, of course, was to hate and to destroy. I didn't care that my ambition wasn't defined by love, that my life was devoid of true love. But no more, that's the old me. The new me was transformed by love. And the new me wants to transform others by love. So make that your goal your ambition too. Thanks for having me here today. Yeah. I just got a question. See that picture there? Is that like symbolic of like the burning bush? No, Is that like fire on the... That's the sun, I think. Oh. And it's the Shema written in the middle of it. Which is, Thanks. Which is uh, Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your strength. Thanks, mate. Well, I get grain back. Neil, would you like to read the story? Sure. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his action, so he asked Jesus, And um, who is my neighbour? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was travelling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three 
would you say was the neighbour to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. 